are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Hello, welcome everyone. Um, so good to have you all with us today. Um, let me extend to you my welcome along with Rahana's. Um, welcome. Welcome, welcome. I'm so pleased that you've come along. So I'm Chris, uh, as Rahana mentioned, and today we're going to be in Exodus chapters 15 and 17. Chapter 16 we're going to do next week, so don't worry, we're not skipping. Um, but this week we're in 15 and 17, and so I'd love you to have both of those chapters open in front of you. So uh, why don't you open, get your Bible app out, get Bibles open, have it. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand in the air, Keep it up high and uh, Gavin or Dee will come and bring you a Bible to you in your seat where you are. And we say this every week and we really mean it. If you don't own a Bible and the reason why your hand is up is just because you don't have one, then why don't you keep the one we've given you? You can keep it, write your name in it. It will bless you and do you good. Uh, you can have it as a free gift from Hope Church. So... Um, before we, whilst you're finding Exodus chapter 15 and 17, this week we started our Alpha course and it was brilliant. It was a really good evening of just great discussion, of uh, yeah, meeting obviously people and chatting together. Um, it's quite a small group this time around, which is absolutely fine. It's just good discussion time. We sit around, we have a meal, uh, chat, get to know one each other, and then we pause for about 30 minutes to watch a video, uh, something, a different claim about uh, Christianity, and then we discuss it. And uh, people are just free to share or not share as much as little as they like. So we've just done week one. Uh, we're going to do eight weeks. And so if you um, would like to come on it, you can come this Tuesday evening, 7.30 at St. Claire's. Uh, you can sign in through church. You can chat to me after the service. But I just want to let you know that it's a a really great safe place to talk about Christianity, to find out more about it, to ask questions and there's no judgment, it's free, it's freedom to like, hey what about this, what about that, I'm not sure about this and to talk about it, so it's a really good place, if you haven't done Alpha before, why don't you come and do it with us, Tuesday night, 7.30. Today, so we're going to be in Exodus chapters 15 and 17. And this, we're going to read through all of them in a moment, both chapters. And there's lots of things that come up in these two chapters. And so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out three key things we're going to talk about today. And you might be sitting there thinking, wow, I didn't even touch on this massive area, which is amazing. Don't worry. There's always time to like delve in into these things, into life groups or home groups, or you can come and chat to me. We can delve into it deeper. We'll pick three things out. But there's loads of different things in here, which is great. And so there's loads to get stuck in. Even during your week, when you read, you can read them again. But we're going to be in chapter 15. And if, you've, if you're here for the first time, let me just, in like a couple of sentences, say what's happened so far. So this story is about a people called the Israelites. And the Israelites uh, is a name for the people of God. And they were around about one and a half thousand years BC, before Christ. And they were in a place called Egypt. And at that time there was pharaohs. And the Israelites, the people of God, were under in slavery. So they were slaves to Pharaoh, helping to build all sorts of structures and cities. And God, he called a man called Moses... He drew him out of water 
And throughout these past few weeks, we've heard about this man Moses has like confronted Pharaoh and told him to let my people go and plagues have come. And uh, we've seen uh, last week, we saw how Pharaoh finally let the people go and they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they came out the other side, the water covered over the, the Egyptian enemy that was chasing them. And so at the end of chapter 14, it says the Israelites went, Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The, that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So that's where we're going to pick up chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing, so this is a song that they sang. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, well, I will pursue you, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. What a song. So when Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters on the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing they're really excited aren't they they're happy about what God's done and then Miriam starts to sing to them and says sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted both horse and driver he has held into the sea so that's the end of the songs then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water 
When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? It's quite a change, isn't it? From this amazing song to now grumbling. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. So he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink, or sweet. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. And he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where, they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. So that's chapter 15. Um, it's amazing how God saved them from this water problem. And then chapter 16 is about how God's going to save them from a food problem. And then we're going to go back, in, and that's what we're going to do next week. And now we're going to be going straight to 17, and there's another water problem. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So, as typical of the people, they quarrelled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, well, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children livestock, uh, make us, our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses, he cried out to the Lord and he said, well, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses and he said, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Here's the last bit of chapter 17. The Amalekites, the Amalekites came, and they then attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. What a passage, eh? So, um, as I mentioned, 
There is lots that you could bring out of this passage, of these passages. And this morning, I'm going to just focus on three things. And throughout those two chapters, it revealed to us who the Lord is. Can anyone remember what it says? Who the Lord is in those three chapters? Huh? God who heals, that's one. God is my banner, that's two. And my first, that's my third point, that's my second point. And my first point is the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. So this morning, our three points, we're going to find out about what does it mean for the Lord to be a warrior, a healer, and a banner. And so here we go. The Lord is a warrior. That's where it comes up in verse 3. And yeah, it says that the Lord is a warrior, or the Lord is a man of war, some translations give. And the Lord is his name. See, after this incredible event, at the Red Sea, the waters parting like two walls beside them. Then the people walking through on dry ground, they stood there and watched as the waters covered the enemy. That The feeling in the camp must have been of just pure awe and wonder. Like What an amazing sight, because they were trapped in. Because they, they had fled from Pharaoh, but Pharaoh changed his mind and started chasing after them. And they got to this point where they couldn't go forward because the Red Sea was at high. It was high. They couldn't pass it. And then behind them, they've got the Egyptian army and all their chariots and horses chasing them and their sword. And they're standing there. What can we do, God? And suddenly Moses puts his staff in the Nile and lifts up his staff and they walk through on dry ground. And they're standing the other side, but the Egyptians are still chasing them and marching after them and and trying to hunt them down to kill them. And they're standing there, what can we do? And then they see the waters cover them. And so they're in awe and wonder. What an amazing sight. Everyone knew that the Lord has done this. The Lord has done this. And so they, we read, didn't we, that amazing song as they sing, as they're inspired by worship. You know, true worship is motivated not by religious duty, but by revelation of this amazing God. That's where worship comes from. When we see God, when we're in awe and, 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 and wonder of him. You know, this is the first time in the Bible where corporate worship happens and multiple people gather together to worship God and I'm not surprised because the facts spoke for themselves they they this was a defenseless band of slaves with no chariots or weapons pursued by a fully equipped Egyptian army and so in the song in verse 9 they 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 kind of say that where the Egyptians are saying we will pursue you we will overtake you we will divide we will gorge we will draw our sword and we will destroy you and the Israelites had no hope they were sunk without a trace and yet in a divine reversal it's Israel who end up singing in verse 4 Pharaoh's chariots and his officers were drowned in the Red Sea sunk to the depths like a stone This kind of revelation of God, it produced in the people this awe and wonder that led to worship. And that worship, it wasn't just singing. It was dancing. It was timbrels. It was was all, all sorts of like awe and wonder, worship, because of all that God has done. Because everyone knew that only the Lord could have done this. And did you notice that then Miriam starts singing and she sings the exact same as verse 1. She repeats the song. 
So I just wonder if like they're just singing it over and over and over again. And sometimes there's a solo by Miriam and sometimes it's everyone singing together and they're just singing. And the song just retells the story of all that God has done and all that he is doing. And in the midst of it, it reveals that God is a mighty warrior who does indeed save by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. Who among the gods is like you, Lord, they sing. Who is like you? Majestic, holy, awesome in glory, working wonders. There's no one like our God. He is a warrior. And you don't want to be someone who comes up against God. Because this is what the enemies have in store, according to this song. The enemies of God have these things in store. That they will hear and tremble. That anguish will grip them. That they will be terrified. They will be seized with trembling. That they will melt away in terror and dread will fall on them. You don't want to be an enemy of God's. You want to be his friend. And when you put your trust in him, you can know what it is like to be a people of God. And what the people of God have in store, what the song tells us, is that God will lead them. That he has redeemed them. That means he's brought them with a price. He's purchased them. They were once slaves and that he's brought them out. That he will guide them. That he will bring them in and plant them, it says, with an inheritance It's a bit like Psalm 1 that says the individual who's like a tree planted by streams of water that gives life and restores their soul. Or like Isaiah 61 where it says that the people of God are like oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord for the display of his splendour. God has done a mighty thing. And so no wonder they danced and they worshipped and they praised. He made a way where there was no way. He fought their battles just as we sung earlier. He fights our battles. Just as Moses told them, he he prophesied earlier on in the book, hey, you will stand still and behold, you will see all that God will do. And that's exactly what happened. They stood on the banks of the shore and they saw what God would do. So what's the application to this? Well, you know, the early Christians were called believers because they believed God. Impossible barriers were broken Christians refused to yield to fear. Pragmatism had to go, had to be overcome. The God of the impossible was in their sights. They had faith and they believed. So in Exodus, these people were ordinary people. In the New Testament, these people were ordinary people. Today, me and you were ordinary people. And yet by faith, God is able to do extraordinary things. Do you believe? Hey, do you believe? We can look out and we can see now in the fullness of time, or in the fullness of the time that's passed so far, that just as they stood and watched as God overthrew his enemies on the cross, Jesus has overthrown Satan. He's done with. It's finished. When you feel lost, when you feel captive to sin, when you can't see a way forward, when you don't feel like worship, look to Jesus. They... When they felt down and they felt discouraged, they looked to Moses, the man who was sent by God to give them encouragement. We're now called to look to Jesus, the man sent by God to give us encouragement. The one who makes a way. The one who defeated death. The one who reigns forever and ever. Allow him to fill you with awe and wonder by what he has done. Because Jesus has defeated this greater evil in Satan. He has hurled him to the depths. He has made a way and he is a mighty warrior. When they stood there on the banks and they saw 
God overthrow all the Egyptian army. At that point, God made an utter spectacle of Pharaoh and his, his uh, army, his troops. And in Colossians 2, it says this, that when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of your legal debts, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailed it to a cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus has also bought you with a price by his son. He has redeemed you, just like God redeemed Israel. He has made you alive in him. He has won the victory because he is a mighty warrior, no longer a baby in a manger, but one who has risen again and who wages war on his enemies. He is a warrior. Often we don't always think of God as a warrior, do we? We think of him as kind and compassionate and loving. He is a mighty warrior. And he calls people to follow him and to bow their knee to him and to trust him and to be obedient to him. And so we've read about the, in Exodus, well in Revelation, this is what John saw, a vision of Jesus, and this is what it said. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges, and he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. We know why that is. It's for the cross. His name is the word of God. We know this is Jesus because John tells us he's the word in his first book. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you believe it? Do you believe him? When your faith falters, when you're weak, and you wonder, is it all worth it? Look to King Jesus, the warrior, strong and mighty, mighty in battle, faithful to his people, to protect, to save, to redeem, to restore. He reigns forever and ever. The Lord is a warrior and we're called to worship him. That's point one. He is a warrior. Point two. He is a healer. So um, in lockdown, let me tell you a little quick story. In, in lockdown, you know, remember that time? Lockdown, remember that? And uh, we were all shut away and there came a point where you were allowed to go out of the house but you could only hang out with your family and um, we went on a walk and we went uh, from the bottom of St. Martha's all the way up to St. Martha's in Guildford. Amazing views. Then all the way down St. Martha's and then all the way up to Newlands Corner. And um, our girls, this was like, I don't know, two years ago or so, whatever. And so they're a bit younger, maybe six and four and that is a long trek. It took us about two hours. And right at the end, when you're going up to Newlands Corner, it's like, this is hard work. And you've got their little legs. And it's, it was really hard work. But we'd been there a few days before, and the cafe was open. And so we said to them, at the start of this walk, which started at 10 o'clock, 
that when we get there at 12, hey, we're going to have hamburgers and chips and a nice drink. And if you're lucky, we'll give you an ice cream as well. And so on this walk, they're kind of dancing, climbing trees, skipping. They're enjoying their time. It was really good. And they kind of trek up the hill. And along up this hill, you know, this last little bit, this really hard work, we just kept encouraging, hey, it's okay. We're going to encourage you. It's okay. We're about to have food. And as we got up to the top, we sat on the bench. We got a little bench. And I left Catherine and the girls there. And then I went off to the cafe. And a few minutes later... I walked back with empty hands. And uh, at first there was like, oh, maybe he's come to get some money, you know, maybe he forgot his wallet. No. And then there was a bit of denial. No, surely, Dad, there must be food. It must be open. No. And then there was a bit of anger. And then there was tears and crying and wailing. And that was just Catherine. And... uh, (laughs) And yeah, and for, I think basically what happened is that so many people had gone to this cafe and the police had shut it down. And so although we'd been there a few days before and seen it open, now on the day that we go, it's shut down. And so there's all this anguish, there was all this hope and excitement, but then that hope was utterly dashed. And the girls were devastated and all we had in our bag was like an apple or something that they had to share between them. And so then started the two-hour walk back <laughs> You know, these two girls. And by the time we got back, we ended up, we got back to the car and they, they, they were troopers. They did all right. And, uh, and then we drove and we found this little um, like burger van place. And in this burger van place, they did sausages, which is a big winner for my girls. And not only sausages, but sausages in baguettes. And, you know, proper French bread was, oh, no, it's good. Yeah, Tim's like, oh, you're getting ready, aren't you, for lunch? And... Um, and so now when you talk to them about that episode, all they remember is, oh, the sausages in baguettes. And whenever we go past that burger van, they're like, daddy, daddy, can we get sausages in baguettes? And they see it as a really good time. But in the moment, it was utter horror. It was devastation. And so then we've had this amazing awe and wonder. We see God in our passage, but now we're going to get to utter devastation. Because that's why I tell this story. Because we had this triumphal procession But then what happens is they come towards the bitter waters of Mara. It's here where we're reminded that we're all human. You see, very quickly, the excitement of what God did turned to grumbling, to disillusionment, to devastation. He remembers we're fickle and that we're formed from dust. The people of God still do not trust that God is sufficient to meet all their needs, to protect them and to provide for them. And so they've won. They followed the cloud of fire and the pillar of smoke. There's these two million people. And perhaps on day one, it was tough. But they were still on the high. Maybe they had some water left over. And then day two, maybe they start to hear the cries of children like I did. And then it gets to day three and this panic starting to ensue. Maybe they're thinking, oh, it's great that you're leading us, God, but we need water. And they must have wondered, well, how can we cope? How long can we go? And suddenly, whispers start coming through the crowd. The pace picks up. They can see, oh, the springs of Mara up ahead. And they start going there and and they're excited. And yes, we're going to get food. The Lord is going to provide. And they get there and they start drinking, lapping it up. And again, hopes dashed. Utter horror. Maybe, like my girls, there was denial. No, this can't be true. Disillusionment. 
anger. God, what's the point of you leading us if all you give us is bitter water? Resentment. And finally, like what can happen to all of us, all of us, bitterness can creep at our door. What could be worse than all these hope dashed? Probably cynicism, resentment, unforgiveness, and yes, even bitterness. They had this incredible victory, multiple incredible victories so far throughout the book. And yet here they almost refuse to believe God. In the end, this theme carries on and basically the whole lot of these people that we've read about that come through the waters, apart from Joshua and one other, don't ever go into the promised land. They wander around the wilderness for 40 years. It's costly being bitter. It costs. Sometimes the house falls through last minute. Sometimes the relationship ends badly. Sometimes the job doesn't materialise. Sometimes the credit goes to someone else. Sometimes you miss out on that promotion. Sometimes the diagnosis is worse than expected. Sometimes dad comes back with empty hands. Disbelief, denial, anger, blame, disappointment, despair, devastation and bitterness. It can creep at the door. And in those moments, temptation to abandon the cloud, to abandon the fire, to abandon God, to blame the person in charge, to blame Moses they did. Temptation to give up on God, temptation to give up on our purpose, temptation to become bitter with God, bitter with others, bitter with the leaders, bitter with the church, bitter with life, can all be real and apparent. Just a few verses before, they were singing how amazing this God is, and now... There's grumbling. What's the solution? Well, their grumbling and bitterness is contrasted to Moses' faith. Instead of grumbling, Moses brings the issue to the Lord. He pays attention to him. He listens to what he has to say. In verse 25, it says that Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, which he then decided to throw in the water, and it became fit to drink. And you might think, what? <laughs> It's quite random. You can kind of read through it and say, like, yeah, that's just what Moses does. He talks to burning bushes and he, you know, he lifts up his staff and waters part and yeah, he just threw a piece of wood. And I looked at that and I thought, this is so random. Like, why would he do that? But then you kind of realise, actually, wood has been present in every miracle so far. Have you noticed that? That God performed miracles with Moses' staff at the burning bush when it turned to a snake and then turned back. That was his wooden staff. God ordered Moses to confront Pharaoh holding his wooden staff. Moses held out his staff to turn the Nile to blood and, to turn, and for frogs to come out. And for each of the plagues, the staff, the wooden staff was there. God told them to smear the lamb's blood on the wooden door frames. He told Moses to part the Red Sea holding his wooden staff. And so perhaps when God showed him this wood, he knew exactly what to do. It seems that the Israelites learned that all of God's salvation emanates from something made of wood. And so it won't surprise you to hear then that the Greek word used in the Septuagint for this piece of wood is zhulon. And that is the exact phrase of Jesus' cross used in Acts in Galatians, in 1 Peter. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? 
that he saw the piece of wood and he said, hey, this is where salvation will come through. If you're not convinced by that, then the, that end of chapter 15 and the start of chapter 17 are both very similar stories. Sandwiched by the need for food, for bread, but water is either side. And in that story, at the start of chapter 17, God says, again, take your wooden staff and then strike the rock. Moses does that, and incredibly, rock comes out of the water. And so you've got Moses with his wooden staff. It says that the presence of God is with him. And he strikes the rock, and an abundant living water flows out from it. And so in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul, he talks about um, how we can learn from Israel's past. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. He's talking about this event. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. It's Jesus. Paul tells us that just as the rock was struck, so was Jesus on the wooden cross. And just like abundant water flowed from that place, now streams of living waters can come from within through Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, when disappointment, when delusion, when fear or bitterness, when um, all these things creep at your door, you're called to cast your anxieties and your burdens on Jesus because he cares for you. The Lord is your healer. That's what it says. I'm the Lord who heals. And he is able to heal not just your physical wounds, but your aching heart. Just as he accomplished all things in you, he forgave you, you're able also to forgive others. But first you need to know him. So do you know his power at work in your life? Do you know the salvation grace of the rock that was struck, Jesus, on the cross, that saved you, that forgave you, that redeemed you, that restores you? Moses somehow seemed to know this. He knew God's power at work in him and could trust him. And as I prepared this week, I just felt that um, there's someone here, maybe a few people, who maybe you're just bitter against your employers, or your boss, maybe there's a colleague, a senior colleague. This is specific for someone. Maybe you've been overlooked or you're struggling somehow. I just believe God is calling you to forgive. He's calling you to let go of any bitterness and resentment. And I just believe that as you do, it won't just be bearable. This water wasn't just bearable at Mara, but it became sweet. There is freedom to be found in letting go of past grudges and walking in forgiveness. And as you do that, as you hand over these things to God, I believe that actually he can, he can make that relationship sweet, good, pure, abundant. He can change you and your situation and how they might not change, but you will. The, Israel, the Egyptians never changed, but the Israelites did. And they drank this sweet water. The Lord heals. Jehovah Rophe. He heals you from broken hearts. Heals you from hopes that have been dashed. From abandonment, from bitterness. He's with you in it all. He makes a way. And just to finish up this point. He says, I'm the Lord who heals. And then, what's incredible, he's, he leads them. At Mara, he leads them to a place called Elim. And at Elim, it's a place with 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And those two numbers should be significant because there's 12 tribes of Israel, 
12 springs, enough for all the people of God. And there's 70 elders. There's enough shade for, and the, for all the, the sufficiency to represent all the people of God. It's just remarkable, isn't it? Why would there be these numbers? It's God is saying, hey, I'm the God who's able to provide. He's able to make a way. At this, at this water, at Mara, he turned it sweet and led them into abundance. At, Mar- at Meribah and Massa, he turned it sweet. And this is my last point. They then got attacked by the Amalekites. And so the thing I just want to mention there is that the circumstances that you're in don't define whether God's presence is with you or not. God's presence was in both situations. One, they then walked into abundant springs and shade and blessing. The next one, they walked into an ambush. God's presence hadn't left them. He's there in both. So whether you're going through abundance right now or lacking, he, hey, you can know his presence with you. And he, maybe he just wants to teach you something through what you're doing. So this last thing, the Lord is my banner. I know we're sort of running short on time. Um, so we'll, we'll do this one quickly. He, uh, what happens is that they're immediately, God rescues again, gives them fresh water. He's made a way where there was no way. And then they're immediately attacked. It's an unprovoked attack. Amalek was a descendant of Esau and they were Israel's distant descendants. So they should have treated them and respected them like a brother. And instead, they decide to attack them. What's more, they're miles away from the Amalek territory. There is no reason for Amalek to fight them here where they're at but nonetheless they launch an attack and the Lord uses it to teach Israel what happens when we pray see spiritual life it can be like this you can see abundant breakthrough you can see God working you can get baptized you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and then you walk into attack because the enemy likes to come and steal kill and destroy and to take away what God has blessed you with and to take what he's taught you to take what he wants you to know And I know that when me and Catherine are going through a difficult time and we're arguing, it's often because something big has happened in that week. Either I'm preaching or she's leading on a conference or something's going on. And we often, we have to pause and, okay, what's going on in our week? It's because he's trying to creep in to divide and conquer. Because often that happens when there's a time of blessing and breakthrough, the enemy tries to cause disruption. The car breaks, the fridge breaks. There's a giving Sunday and everything seems to not work. And he tries to just sweep in an attack last time the role of the Israelites was passive they just watched as Moses threw in the stick this time they saw how they they are now involved in the battle Joshua has to suit up Moses and Moses is called to pray both things happen you know the New Testament is full of battle language and in the Old Testament it's full of battles and soldiers but while we're called in Ephesians to put on our armour to be suited and booted, to be ready to go. The focus of God's power is revealed through prayer. Here, the focus is not on Joshua and what Joshua is doing, but its focus is on what Moses is doing. And what is Moses doing? He's lifting up his wooden staff to the Lord. And when he gets tired, they see a stone under him and two guys come around him to help hold up his arms. It's a wonderful picture of prayer. We rest on the stone, the rock of Jesus, and we gather together, hands lifted up together to pray. It's a wonderful picture of the church. That's what we do when we come together on a Sunday, when we pray, when we come together on Wednesday nights, when we pray, we rest on Jesus and we lift our hands together. 
the, the phrase used here is that they kind of, he lifted us up against the throne of God, but that's probably not the best translation. It's more like he laid his hands upon the throne. As, as he kind of holds up his staff, he's laying his hands on the throne and we're seeking God. We, we sang already, this is how I found my battles. If I, it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you, God. We sang another song, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted up, O oh Lord, because the battle belongs to you. And that's exactly what happens. Moses lifts up his hands and whether they, the success or failure, it doesn't depend on how good Joshua and the army are. It depends on whether Moses' arms are up or down. And ultimately, they triumph. The victory that the Israelites won that day was so amazing that Moses wrote it down on a scroll so we can read it today. He built an altar where wood would be laid, sacrifices would be made, so that they would all remember. And he declared, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi. His name is over me. His name is over my family. His name is over my life. His name is over my street. His name is over my neighbours. His name is over my situations. His name is over my circumstances. His name is over my difficulties. His name is over my problems. The Lord is my banner. He is an amazing God. He's a mighty warrior. Maybe the band can come up. He is a warrior and he calls us to worship. He is a Lord who heals in every area of our life. Through the Son of Jesus, he calls us to let go of bitterness and to hold on to him instead. He is our banner that we pray to, that we lift up our situations to, and we raise him over every situation. We declare that he is king. Prayer is not imposing our plans on God, but believing in his promises. Believing. In, in this moment, they call the staff, not Moses' wooden staff, but the staff of God. What we do is we lift up God. We lift up our banner over every situation. And so I just want to invite you to stand. And we're just going to pray. I want, in fact, why, right now, why don't you start to pray in your heart, just as maybe James starts to play. Just pray. And I don't know which one of those things you need, if it's healing, if you need to know God's mighty hand and just fall in love with awe and worship of him again. You need him to reveal himself to you, revelation that will lead you to worship. Maybe you need to know his banner over you in prayer or in a situation. Why don't you just start to pray to him? Say, Lord, would I know your name, that you are warrior, that you are healer, that you are my banner. Lord, we thank you for this book of Exodus. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, God, for how you've revealed yourself to the people of God, to the Israelites. And we thank you, Lord God, how it's all a foreshadow of Jesus and how you reveal yourself through your Son and through your Holy Spirit to us, even today. Thank you that we can learn from all these things. And I pray, Lord God, help us to look at you, the wonders of your majesty and to be in awe and inspire to worship you. Help us, Lord God, not to, not to let bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment or disillusion creep at our door, but to, to shove them back and to seek you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Help us to have faith to believe, like the early Christians, to believe that you are God and you are mighty, you are able to do it. 
Help us, Lord God, to know that you are a healer. You're a healer physically, but you're also a healer of our mental struggles and our battles that we might face. And most importantly, Lord, help us to lift our arms in prayer to you. Thank you, Lord God, that the battles are won on our knees in prayer. Thank you that you fight our battles. Thank you, Lord God, how you did it in this situation against the Amalekites. Thank you, Lord God, how you do it today. You fight, Lord God, for us on our behalf. And so we trust you and we lift our voice in worship to you. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.